be doing a Christmas Eve Eve service. So you want, there's been a lot of great things coming out of this series, and I've been hearing from different people, uh, the, you know, different comments and things that have kind of impacted them as they thought about what it means to be a disruptor and what it means that we're going through a disruption in our lives. And last week, specifically, we talked about our calling to reach the community. And I've been praying about this for the past four years, and I know many of you have been praying about the same thing. Lord, how would you direct our church? What would you have us do in this moment, in this season even, as we've been going through COVID and all these things? I believe that God doesn't cancel his, you know, his believers, or he doesn't cancel his church out in the midst of these things that we go through. But we continue to press through, and we continue to say, God, what are you teaching us? What do we need to be learning, and what do we need to be doing through this process? God, what is it that you have for us? And there have been so many God moments that I believe God keeps setting certain things up so that we have open opportunities and open doors to reach in our, in our, into our community with the love of Christ. And so we continue to find that and we take one step at a time, and much of it is a step of faith. It's a, t- a step of faith in the right direction because I believe it's what we're called to do. Now, one of the things we know about our church, and if you don't know this, we're going to continually say this because I want you all to be able to know what the vision of this church is. It's to give hope by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. It's that simple and it's that hard at the same time. That simple and that hard and making disciples. Giving hope by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. That's what we're about. That's what we want to be about. And there are some times where we're not as good in certain areas as others, and we continue to say, God, how do you want us to move forward? How do you want us to accomplish these things? Because these are his word. When he says to love God and love people, love others, that's his word. So we want to live up to the standard of what his word says for us. Now, how do we share that love for our community? By showing that we are for the community, not just in the community. Now, Tuesday morning, after the board meeting that I called, it was about three weeks ago, as we began to talk through this process, uh, to discuss the opportunity to lease the storefront in North Falmouth, I received a call from someone that had no idea about this meeting or what we were considering as the leadership of this church. Ron Smith called me on Tuesday morning as I was here in the office. And what I asked him to do is to write out what he sensed God speaking for the leadership team of this church so that I can share it with them. And I want to share it with you this morning because I believe it's all in alignment with some of the things that we've been talking about as we're moving forward in this. This was just yet another confirmation, and there were others along the way. But this was another confirmation that we are headed in the right direction and doing the things that I believe God is having us to do in this moment. And I believe this is what God is stirring. And this is what he wrote. And I quote, this is Ron speaking. I won't have him come speak it for you live, but. (laughs) He says, it was a real pleasure to speak with you this morning. I'm sending this note to you to describe that strong impression and the thought that hit me as I read Amos chapter 8, verse 4. In my NIV Bible, the verse reads, hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. As I read this verse, for lack of a better description, a strong impression struck me that led me to write this at the top of the page. Reading 8-4, hit by the thought that heritage needs to commit to the poor and needy 
to fully restore this church. To return to the roots of the gospel, need to call pastor about this tomorrow. 11-23-20. Only once can I recall ever hearing the Lord speak directly to me, and that was in the early 90s. What usually happens with me is that I get a strong impression or thought about something. While I am not outright claiming this is a word from God, I felt I should share it with you if you wish and with the board. Please note that I did not read this verse as a criticism of heritage, but as a direction, mission for HCC to go to be a church that impacts those people and towns around it and so revitalize heritage in the process. What was it that separated the early church from the culture of the city? or culture of its day. It reached out to those who were the least and forgotten of the classical society, the orphans, the widows, the slaves, the disenfranchised, and the suffering. And people took note. Nothing is more exciting in our faith than to see Jesus move as we step out in ministry and see him move and, and see, see him move and change lives as we do so. Indeed, it may be that we are the ones who are the most changed by doing this. After I spoke with you, I told Chris about this, and she fully agreed. We do, we do not need more church plants, but rather more churches engaging in outreach ministries to those in need and the suffering. People look into actions, or people look at actions, not words. Or as James puts it in 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. End quote. So when we think about what we have been talking about over these last several weeks, this opportunity that we have to find a way to resource and to give back to the community, to find a way that we can fund different outreach ideas that we have as a church by giving to those in need, and maybe even breaking down some walls and barriers for the gospel. Because it's often the barriers that keep us from be being able to share our faith. But when they see a church that's living out their faith in such a way, that it's not just living for itself, and it's not just in the community, but it's giving back, and it's serving people that are lesser than without expecting anything in return, I think that breaks down a lot of barriers and walls to the gospel. Now, these are goals with the store to be a source of funding and the caring for those that need help. After the signing of the lease, Cindy, Mark, and I were in the neighboring store, the North Falmouth Mercantile, and as we were speaking to the owner, there was a man who was kind of overhearing some of the things that we were saying and wanted to know, well, what's, what's going in next door? I want to I find out. So we introduced ourselves, and Cindy introduced me as a pastor of this, this church, and that we were planning to put a store in there, and everything that we have, we're going to you know, make nice and, and redo it and then sell it, and everything that we make is going to go right back into community endeavors. And he thought that idea was awesome. He liked that idea. He was very excited about that idea. You see, being for our communities and being for the marginalized in society is what loving God and loving people is all about. And if we don't love God and love people, then we don't have the opportunity to make disciples, do we? Because there's no disciples to make. So when we think of a disrupted community, you can easily go throughout Scripture and see the history of the Jewish people. 
that's not only in their past, but the disruption that they even face today in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. You can see the devastation and the way that communities have been disrupted over the years and how they've been brought to different nations even and taken out of Israel several times. One of those times came when a, name, a prophet named Jeremiah was on the scene and he witnessed the devastation. He witnessed the disruption of the Israelites. And then he prophesied over the people that were now captive in Babylon. He prophesied over them as they were taken the, to Babylon as captives after Babylon had taken over Israel and Jerusalem. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, I want to start there this morning, because these are the words that he prophesied over the people of that nation and what he said they were to do in the time that they were there, captive in Babylon. Starting in verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled in Bab or to Babylon from Jerusalem. Verse 5, Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I'm going to read that just again. Verse 7 and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Here we have the Israelites who are far from home. They were taken from their homes as captives, marched to Babylon, taken from their nation, taken from everything that was comfortable to them their homes, their families, their livelihoods. And they were taken to the capital of their enemy. And now the Lord comes to his people through the pen of Jeremiah, and he says, seek the shalom of your enemy. Seek the peace of your enemy. Seek the welfare of your captives, of your captors, I should say. Sink down roots, build houses, plant gardens, eat, take wives, and have children. Give yourself to the prosperity of your captors in Babylon, and you will have prosperity. Give yourself to the needs there, and you will benefit from that. What's God telling his people here? Occupy the land until I come for you. Occupy it until I come to save you from Babylon and bring you back to Jerusalem. You see, shalom is much richer than just the absence of conflict. That word peace, shalom. It's not just a trendy way to say goodbye or hello. It means universal human flourishing. It means a completeness and a wholeness that not only do we have peace in our hearts and our minds and our souls, but our families and our communities and our churches. By seeking the shalom of the city, God was asking those in captivity to live, to invest, to encourage and support the goodness and enjoyment of their life in that community. 
funny story. I used to have a high school football coach that just had a hard time with my last name for some reason. He just couldn't say Shalot. And people still have a pretty hard time with my last name. I have all kinds of good pronunciations like Shelot and Shellot and Sherlot, Shulot. So my high school football coach, actually he's my freshman football coach, used to just call me Shalom. So my name was Peace, I guess, as I was on the football field. <laughs> hey, Shalom. <laughs> I think they even wrote it across my helmet when I, when I started there. You see, it's important to define their, a church's relationship in the community. And our relationship be, should be one that wants to bring peace to where we live. To the place many of us wouldn't call living on Cape Cod in exile. It's a little bit, you know, a little bit nicer than that. But the place that we've, he's placed us. The particular land that he's given us to do something with. He has you here in this moment, in this area of Cape Cod for a reason. And it's not just to live and die. You see, often the scripture speaks of us as citizens of a different kingdom. And that kingdom is not of this world, and we all know that. We're just traveling through. We do live in a, a very blessed nation, and we should be thankful for that. But our first allegiance isn't to the United States of America. Our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And so in a sense, we are foreigners in this land. But Paul says that we should be in the world, but not of the world. But we should also seek the shalom, the peace of our communities. So how does this work out relationally? Well, let's talk about church's relationship and community. Some of these we hit on a little bit last week. I want to go a little more in depth this week on this. So there's the churches that are in the community. There are churches that are merely in the community. Their heartbeat is to get people in the doors to hear the gospel. But unfortunately, that is where it ends. Such churches create programs for people inside the church, and inside the church walls, and reach out of their ministry only occasionally and go into the community. The primary focus of these churches is what happens inside the church building. Churches like this are, community, are in the community geographically, but they aren't effectively engaged with the people and the culture around them. Then you have the church that's against the community. Some churches have have adopted a, a defensive stance against the world around them, a defensive posture against the community. And the surrounding culture is seen as just bad. It's irredeemable. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can change. The arts, the business world, science, the scientists, the media, all are minions of Satan bent on destroying the church. So we can be against the community, and they align themselves squarely against the culture and proclaim that they are taking a stand for Christ. You see, a church against the community says, politics, bad. Arts, bad. Media, bad. Science, bad. Church, good. Now, certainly there can be good intentions in a church like this, and they often have an authentic desire to not be influenced by the world and its mentalities and to cling to what is good. Faithful Christians are continually forced to think critically about what we accept and reject in our culture. Right, something we have to continually be filtering in our lives. What are things that are okay and what are things that we should steer clear from? 
and it's not an easy task. But we have to think critically, not just kind of go with the flow of what everybody's saying or what the TV preacher's saying or what this news station is saying. We need to think about what we see going on in our culture. Because a lot of what we see going on in our culture is no different than what we see going on in this culture. How do we engage it? You know, some churches even prefer that us and them mentality. But then you have the opposite extreme. You have the church of the community. The church wholeheartedly embraces the culture of the city so much so that they lose their flavor. Their saltiness has lost its salt. There's no flavor to it anymore. They lose bright, the brightness of their light by abandoning the call to be in the world without being of the world. And they lose their ability to speak the truth into things effectively. Anything goes. I'm okay if you're okay. But then there's a church that, as God was speaking through Jeremiah to the Israelites, the church that seeks the welfare of the city. What would it look like for the number of Christians in our communities if they tripled in size over the next decade? I don't know if it's 1% or what the percentages are. I think the last number I found here for this area was from 2010. It said the evangelical Protestants are 2.4%. What would happen if that went up to four or six? What would that mean for our city's spiritual or moral or economic climate? You see, Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. What would happen if the tide began to turn? And we'd see more people who opened themselves up to the gospel because a church was bold enough to break down barriers that continually held them back from hearing the truth and the love of Christ at work in their lives. You see, the history and the theory of missions tells us that whole cities or cultures can be reached with the gospel. In fact, there are many churches overseas that are sending missionaries to America when we used to be the missionary sending agency. The tipping point has been achieved where Christianity begins a disproportionate effect on the community's values and beliefs, and then you begin to see things roll from there. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 8 through 9, continues here where he's talking about the prophets, <laughs> other prophets. Verse 8 says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are not telling you, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. You see, false prophets will tell you, Jesus is coming to save us. We don't have to worry about anything going on in the world. We'll just, he, we're saved. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think about the world. We're just giving up. Maybe they would say you'll never make it. You won't make a difference. No matter what you do, nothing will change. It's a pretty negative way to live life, isn't it? I remember when we had that student ministry in Worcester and we're working with a lot of kids, some of them from gangs and from some of the local housing authority. And on our church block, 
there was one house that, didn't own, that wasn't owned by the church. The other two houses were, and they were, that's where we lived, and our, our lead pastor lived in another house there on, on campus, we call it. But there was one house in the end that just, they, they, uh, they didn't sell, I guess. And uh, they came to the church one day because they were asking a lot of questions, such as why were these hundreds of kids walking down the driveway past their house to our church? They were a little concerned for the neighborhood. <laughs> and I think the comment really stuck with me. He said, you will never change those kids. You will never change those kids. You're wasting your time. You see, I happen to believe that we can make a difference. That we can change things. And I will continue to do this until the Lord returns or I die. Whichever comes first. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And there is nobody beyond his touch. There is nobody that cannot be changed. There is no one that cannot be transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some would say that the needs are too great. Andy Stanley, uh, one of the things he says a lot, he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You've probably heard this story. It's a very familiar story, but I think it illustrates the point very well this morning. It's a story of a young boy who is walking along the shores after a big storm. And the beach was littered with starfish everywhere you could see. As far as the eye could see, there were starfish laying all over the beach shores. And there was a man who was walking on the beach and would see that boy occasionally stoop down, pick up a star, and throw it back into the ocean. And so the man called out, hey, what are you doing? The boy said, well, I'm throwing the starfish back into the ocean. The tide washed them up on the shore and they can't return themselves. When the sun is high, if they do not go back, they're going to die. The man replied, well, there must be tons of thousands, tens of thousands of starfish on the shore, on this beach, and I'm afraid you're not going to make much of a difference. The boy bent down, picked up another starfish and said, it makes a difference for that one. See, our community matters. The growth of Christianity the growth of people knowing who Jesus Christ is and experiencing his forgiveness and his love matters. We should all long to see the numerical growth of Christianity on Cape Cod, in our state, in our nation, and that's why we give the mission to the world. You see, we worship a God who longs that none should perish. None should perish, not one and we need to enter into that discontent that Jesus had for all people everywhere who need a Savior. For this, this is what being a church for the community looks like. Being a church for the community. Now in this model of engagement, where a church speaks the truth of the gospel and is not afraid to uphold a biblical worldview or a standard, you see, such a church proclaims the truth of Scripture with passion 
clarity and boldness. But you know what opens the door for people to hear that truth and that passion and that boldness? Serving them where they are. Serving the need. For those that think that the church is only out for themselves, it breaks down a barrier and a wall that they've had against the church for years, and some people decades, and for some people their entire lives. At the same time, though, this is a church that commits itself to seeking the shalom, seeking the peace, seeking the flourishing of the community. See, we need to earn our right to be a voice in the community. This means seeking the shalom of the people that, that we live in the community with and living sacrificially and using, their gifts, using our gifts, our time, our money to seek the peace and prosperity of our neighbors. Now, I've read this question several times in different books that I've read over the years on missions and community and, uh, you know, the great, great commission. It's a tough question. Question is, if HCC were to close down tomorrow, so if Heritage Christian Church were to close down tomorrow, would our town even know that we're gone? Would a city grieve or mourn our disappearance? I can tell you there's at least a few people, several people actually, that would mourn. Even without going and, and doing an official survey, I can tell you that there's some people at JML that miss those that have gone in faithfully month after month after month to share worship and the gospel with them. I can guarantee you they're missing that now. There are others who would come to We Care, speak with our ladies that work so di diligently to organize all that stuff up there and to help people find the clothes and the things that they may need. I'm sure they're missing that right now for those that still have that need. That's a good thing. But I also believe that God is calling us even beyond that. Like those are good steps and those are things we're going to continue. But I think there's more. God, God is calling us to have even more impact and more influence for his glory and his kingdom right here in our community. This morning, you may be here and you may be or you may be listening online, and you feel a little bit like that starfish <laughs> out of your element. And maybe you're struggling a little bit as you reflect on life. Maybe you do sense that there's something more than just living and dying. And the reality is you're right. There is something more. You can start a new life today. You can be forgiven of your past. You can have a new lease on life because Christ died for you and he died for me so that we can be forgiven. This morning, if you would say, that's, that's me, Pastor. I, I feel a little out of my element or maybe I've been struggling with the church or maybe there's something that happened in the past at a church that just really hurt me and you feel like that starfish on the shore. This morning, I'm here to declare that Jesus Christ is your savior. It's not a church. It's not a pastor. It's not a person. It's not a family member. But you can be saved this morning because he can walk along that shore, pick you up, and throw you back in where there's life. If you would say that this morning and you would like to take that first step toward Christ, I'd like you to pray with me today. 
every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, forgive my sin and forgive my past. Make me new. Give me a new start beginning today. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Do this in me today and help me see the plans that you have for my life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to let you know that if you prayed that prayer, that's a first step, but we want you to take another step. If you have access and you, you have a, a phone where you can get a, a free app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, you can go in there and you can download that for free. And there's a devotional called First Steps for New Believers. I want to encourage you to take that next step because that's the next step you need to grow in your faith. It's not just about praying a prayer once. Being a Christian and being a Christ follower is a lifelong experience where we continue to grow and learn and none of us have arrived, including myself. We have all just continually to grow in our faith. And we want to welcome you into the kingdom this morning. Take that next step. Learn more about what it means to follow Christ. I'm going to have everyone here this morning stand as I say a scripture over you. And the scripture comes from the same chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 29, where Jeremiah speaks a blessing over the people and reminds them that God has a plan for them. Yes, even in the midst of being in captivity in Babylon, God is still saying, despite all of that, despite all that you see, despite all the challenges that you face, I have a plan for your life. And this also serves as a reminder that he will come again to gather his people. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14, says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your land. See, the powerful part about that is that it was a prophecy for the Israelites that came true, but it also applies to us in the sense that he will bring us home again to our land, the land that he has prepared for us, for his people, for his believers. So it's a picture of him returning for us for our salvation. So this morning I want to declare to you that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for this church. And his plans are for a hope and a future. So walk this week with that confidence, knowing that God has a plan for your life and that you can walk in hope. God bless you. Have a great season and we'll see you next Sunday. And don't forget about our Christmas Eve Eve service on the 23rd Wednesday night, 7 p.m. God bless you.